0: Well, this week, um, we are finishing a four-part series that we've had that we've been talking about, Conduits of Grace, and also connecting those with our our four commitments, our core commitments as we seek to make disciples, as we want to be able to glorify God by making joyful, passionate disciples. We we do these different things, and we have this sign that kind of helps us remember those things, and one of those is worshiping God passionately, and worship is also a gift of God's grace to us to be able to worship Him. And we want to grow in that and be a people who do that and the, the puzzle pieces that we want to connect with one another authentically, connect and care for one another. And the church, the body, the church of Christ is the local community of Christ is an agent of God's grace to us. We just need it. And what a gift that he has given us. And then we want to grow to know God deeply. Um, We have his his word and we, we spend time together on Sunday mornings and throughout the week in his word. And individually in his word we want to encourage one another, spur one another on to spend time in his word. And that is an agent and an avenue, a conduit, a gift of God's grace. And then the final, the road that we're going to talk about today. And even last week, Wade, when he preached, I should have said, hey, just title your sermon. Go show and tell the gospel boldly. And that'll be, it'll cover that. Um, But that's our final. We want to be able to be those who are sharing the gospel through our life and and through words and through deeds and be that type of people. And that's, again, a gift of God's grace to, to have that. And as we think about that, as we think, we talked a couple weeks ago that these gifts of God's grace, um, it's not just a, a substance he gives us, but really he's giving us himself. Um, he's entering into relationship with us in all of these ways as he puts, gives, pours out his grace upon us. So today we're going to talk about Go Show and Tell the Gospel. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5. Oh, Second Corinthians. I was reminded the last couple of weeks, it is a good book to walk through someday we will, I think, walk through 2 Corinthians. It's such a good book. But 2 Corinthians is written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, and written to the church at Corinth. And this is a church that had a f- just a few issues. Um, and that's okay, though, because I think we're all churches that have just a few issues, right? So that we, we could think, oh, the first century church must have been perfect. Well, the book of, of Corinthians, verses 2nd, and Galatians, other ones, we see that's just not the case. So if we want to, sometimes we say, oh, let's plant the, the, the first century church. Well, it doesn't take a lot because we you know, we see that the messiness of it. Um, but Paul, he writes to them, and he, he encourages them in 1 Corinthians, and he goes and he visits them several times, and we see that in Acts. And also in here, he speaks about that. He talks about going on a painful visit and Second Corinthians, where he confronted them in their sins, and it, was, it must have been painful. Um, he called people out, and then he went back, and he then wrote them another letter that he says was a letter written with tears, another tearful letter, calling them again, calling out their sin and calling them to repentance, and, and they respond well, and for the most part. Uh, they respond, well, and then he writes Second Corinthians, and he still wants to address some things, and, and clearly he sees that they need to grow in just what it means to walk with Jesus, what it means to grow in an understanding of the gospel, understanding how their life has been totally changed by the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, and how it should impact their heart, their actions, their thoughts, the way they give, the way they serve, the way they treat one another, and it, they should recognize, they should reflect the reality that they're new creations in Christ. They should reflect the life of Jesus. They should reflect the the service and the suffering of Jesus. Uh, And if you want to use a really um, cool word that makes you sound really smart and kind of like theological, it's really, I think if you look at this book, he wants them to have lives that are, the term, a cruciform life. That means a a cross-shaped life. Um, so if you want to sound normal like me, a cross-shaped life, if you want to sound really cool, you can say a cruciform life. I think it, it's a cool phrase. But I think uh, as I was thinking about 2 Corinthians, kind of reading through it, I was like, he's, he's pointing in that, to live impacted by Jesus Christ. And he's kind of pointing things where they haven't. And in this, in the text today that we look at, we see that Paul, he's explaining his his ministry as an ambassador of Jesus Christ in this letter. And it becomes clear in Second Corinthians, that there are some people that are trying to discount Paul. There is people that are coming in. There's false, even some false teachers, false apostles, and people that are trying to discount Paul's ministry. Maybe even some in the church that speak harshly against Paul, attack him and his ministry, even his suffering, even calling his suffering for Christ into into question if that is really how it should be. And they try to discredit Paul, and he teaches the church. And as he teaches the church about his ministry, he also calls them, I believe, to join into that as well and teaches them how it is that we should live and follow Christ and be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And we see that in this. And, and then we, as we read, as the Holy Spirit moves through his word, um, we are encouraged by that. So as we walk through... And we're going to actually go through this a little quicker than we could spend a couple weeks in this passage. We're going to zip through in some ways and then talk a little bit of ways how we can be those who are ambassadors of Christ and even share the good news. But as we look through this, I want you to look for truth that will stir our heart to to be faithful ambassadors of Jesus to the lost and broken and dying world around us. So just things that should stir our heart. And that first thing... We see in verse 11, just even having a right fear, a godly fear of the Lord. Verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade you, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. So it even just begins to fear the Lord. We fear the Lord and we persuade, we persuade others. And verse 10, if we look just one verse ahead, it kind of helps us understand what he's speaking about a little bit. He says, in verse ten of that same chapter, "For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil." So he, he calls them to a right fear, a right fear of God, and in light of Christ Jesus Christ, a just judge, a holy just judge, one who will judge in righteousness. We are to fear him, but we also fear him out of his glory, his grace, his goodness. And here, and there's a lot, we could spend a lot of time in that, so we'll have to maybe discuss that in community group a little bit more. Um, But he calls and he says, I persuade others. He persuades others to Christ, knowing that there is a time of account. And we see later on, too, that we have one, Jesus Christ, who became sin for us, that he died in our place, and that we might have the righteousness of Christ, that we can stand before a holy and just God. But he calls them to fear. And when we speak about fear of the Lord, and Paul speaks about fear, it's not this being afraid of God. It's not being afraid of him and hiding from him and running from him. And even sometimes it's funny. I think when we are afraid of God, we even can rebel from Him. Um, and we see a picture of that in Adam. Uh, when, a- when, when Adam had, s- had sinned and God showed up, what does Adam do? He hides because he's afraid of God. It's not being afraid of Him, but having a godly fear and reverent fear of Him in light of His holiness, His glory, His righteousness, and even in light of the goodness and beauty of God that causes us to fall and worship before Him. I've heard it explained one way like this. Um, It's it's a falling, like a a sinful fear of God is that of falling on our knees before God, but falling away from Him, cowering in fear. But that's being afraid, but having a right fear, a holy fear of God when we're changed by Him. We fall on our knees before God and bow toward God in reverent worship and joy of Him. So Paul, he he has a right understanding of of the Lord Jesus and a fear of Him that draws Him to Him and calls, wants to persuade others as well to that relationship with Jesus. And then he continues, verses twelve and th- through thirteen. We seek; he does, he doesn't seek the approval of others. He's really seeking approval of God. He's not looking for outward outward appearances and how others see him and being big and amazing, but being faithful. Let me read verses 12 through 13. These things should challenge us and encourage us on. Just be faithful witnesses. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in a right mind, it is for you. So in this, well, I'm going to read a, a paraphrase of this. The New Living, how it paraphrases verse 12. I think it's helpful. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. I think that's a good way of saying it. So Paul, he's giving evidence to the, the Corinthians to combat the attacks that are coming against him and against his ministry. And Paul, he's not concerned about having an outward showy, outward eloquence, outward uh, prosperity, or any of those things in his ministry. He's concerned about a sincerity of heart. And now we, we I think we live in a culture, not just a Christian culture, but just our, our culture as a whole, one of the highest things we prize is productivity and busyness. Um, but ministry, even evangelism and walking with Jesus often doesn't look that way. It's often that, that is small things that are overlooked and unseen things. And God often uses the small things just to show his great power and uses us even in our weakness. So Paul, he's concerned about motives of the heart. Sincerity of heart, not about numbers, but about faithfulness coming and serving the Lord with sincerity of heart and love. And Paul, we see the heart of Paul, even his willingness to suffer for Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, he lists later on in in chapter 11, all of the ways that he has suffered for Christ. And we see that he he desires to serve Christ. Not for show, not for his own gain, but for Jesus. And then verse 13, um, if you have an NIV, it says, if we are out of our mind... Is for the sake of God. If we are in right mind, it's for you. So it must be there's some that are saying, man, that Paul, he's crazy. Don't listen to him. He's out of his mind. He's like, what well, if I am? It's, it's for you. It's for the Lord. I want you to know. So he, he and he knows, he knows the church knows he's not crazy. Um, and he's just uh, pointing out these things. That he's pouring out his, his life and his ministry um, for the Lord Jesus Christ and for them. And he might have been, he might be that first Jesus freak. Uh, this week I, I was studying this, and I thought of um, in, in college. I, I like DC Talk, and and Jesus Freak came out. So I made our kids. We listened to Jesus Freak at, at dinner one day. And if you'd come by my house, or, or not by house, by by the church um, on Tuesday around four o'clock, you might have heard it just playing really loud. I just had to listen to it. And so we we thought about singing it this morning, but. I guess, no, I guess I didn't ask Nathan to sing it, so. Verses 14 through 15. And then you see that he's controlled by the love of Christ. Jesus died for us. It's the love of Christ. Controlled by it. Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded that this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So he says it was for the love of Christ. The love of Christ controls them. Or maybe in your translation it says Christ's love compels us. I like that. It controls us. It compels us. It impels us. It pushes us forward to share, for him to be a minister of Jesus Christ. And what is the love of Christ? What's well, seeing that Christ died for all, that he died for all those. And all those who trust in him and his death and his resurrection, that they too died to sin. That we have a new life in Jesus. That the penalty of sin is paid for. The old life that we had apart from Christ is dead. We're no longer slaves to sin. But instead we're controlled by the love of Christ. We're, we're compelled, we're impelled by the love of Christ. So we see this. That there's this new life that's found in Christ, that pushes him forward. As we sang saying earlier, our life is defined by Christ. And the love of Christ that is shown to us should motivate and, and propel us and compel us to share about Jesus. And then verse 16, know that spiritual, eternal life, it's real. Spiritual life, eternal life, it's real. Yeah, what would you guys would say? Facts or something at the end of that statement. I don't know. I don't understand new slang, but Anthony kind of brings us into that world. So verse 16, from now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So now when Paul sees people, he doesn't, just see them from a physical, outward, human point of view, but he sees them as those who are, are eternal. Our lives are so much more than a temporal, worldly point of view. And Paul, Paul sees the spiritual life of others, and he, often says, he even says that he once rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He saw only the outward suffering and the lowliness of Christ. He didn't understand what was going on. He had a worldly perspective of others and of Christ in his death. Um, but there's eternity at stake for everyone around us. I think of this quote by C.S. Lewis. This is what came to mind as I was kind of walking through this. There's a book called The Eternal Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis. and Years ago, I, I'd read this quote and how he viewed everyone. He recognized that he didn't see him just from a human point of view but a spiritual point of view in the eternity of all of us and he says this there are no ordinary people no ordinary people you have never talked to a mere mortal nations cultures arts civilizations these are mortals and their life is our and their life to ours is like that of a gnat. but it is immortals whom we joke with work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. So he's saying everyone that we come in contact with, they have an eternal destiny. And we need to see them that way, that either they have the hope of eternal life with Christ or eternity apart from him for all eternity. And we need to see people in that way. not just from a basic human point of view. And then verse 17 we see that in Christ we are new creations. This is probably the verse maybe you're most familiar with in this passage. It says therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold the new has come. So we're, we should be motivated by this new life that we've received in Christ. This is if anyone is in Christ that is, we've turned, we've repented, we've turned from our sin and our and we've trusted in Jesus Christ. He says, hey, there's a newness that we have in Him. We have a brand new life in Him. He's made us new. That we are no longer, like we said, no longer slaves of sin, but we have new life in Christ. We have hope in Him. that The curse of sin has been reversed, and we're beginning to just walk in that newness of life and pointing forward to the new heavens and the new earth that is to come. And uh, the fall is being undone um, because of the new life that we have in Christ. We have no no need to leave, live defeated, and that should press us on, that with the new life that we have, that we want to be then those who are agents, ambassadors, and those who carry on this message. And this is what Paul shows us in verses 18 and following, in 18 and 19. We should remember that you are reconciled to God and entrusted with the gospel. Remember that, that there's this new thing that's happened, and it should push us forward to be those who speak about it. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God, in Christ, God who reconciled the world himself, not counting the, their trespasses against them, and entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. says, so all this is from God. It's all of the work of God, says. And God's reconciled us through Christ. Uh, There's restoration, um, a changed relationship that happens, that we were once enemies and now we're friends. So there's this total shift in relationship that happens when we trust in Christ that we are brought, brought anew into this union with God. We were once in rebellion, we were once opposed to God, we were once enemies of God and then we're brought in and we become those who are our friends of God, that are children of God. I had written I was studying this weekend in a Bible that I'd used a lot in college and then and a few years after that and it's one I love to go back and just see little notes I've written in there and I had this in the margin, I don't know where I got it. It's probably like from a, just a dictionary, but I said For uh, reconciliation, it says restore to union and friendship after estrangement. So there's this new relationship, a union that's restored in Christ. And it's a result of Christ. And that result of our being reconciled, being made right with God, that we become those who are ministers of reconciliation. We take that message. We're those who want to draw others. We've been drawn in by God so that he could send us out. And be those who are ministers of reconciliation, calling others to this truth that we have, uh, controlled by the love of Christ. And we're saved, then, not without purpose, but we're saved at a great purpose. Um, we've been reconciled, made right with Christ, and have new life in Him, that we can be part of what God is doing. We carry this message with us all the time, no matter um, if we realize it or not. We are agents of that, of that message. And then verse 20 we say, or he shows us that we are, we are chosen. and we should know and be reminded, we are chosen to be an ambassador of Christ. Therefore, we, am, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. So they're ambassadors. Now, an ambassador is someone like in our country. We have ambassadors from all sorts of countries that are ambassadors. Mostly, I think most of those are all in D.C. So they can converse with other people of our government and speak face to face. And when we lived overseas, we would go to consulates and and embassies. So... We never got to speak with ambassadors, I don't think. No, we, we know. They don't, they don't really call you in to, to get to talk, but you get to talk to someone else. But you kind of enter in that building, you're kind of like a little bit like in America. You feel like, oh, I can relax a little bit. But, and as ambassadors, they, they face-to-face represent um, whoever they're representing. And we get to face-to-face go and carry the message of Jesus Christ to people. We're ambassadors of Christ. We go on the behalf of the one who, who's rescued us and called us. And then Paul says he implores, he pleads, he begs others on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God, to join in in this new relationship. There's rescue that comes. And we know um, that there is, there is a count to come, and our only hope is Jesus. And we all, we do, we all have different jobs, though. Uh, there was only one Paul. Uh, There's only a handful of apostles. There were a few, you know, pastors that they appointed, and then there was people in different walks of life that even in their different walks of life, they were called to be an apostle. And we have different outposts, are called to be ambassadors. But we, we all have different outposts in our life that we're given, different seasons, even different seasons where we have different tasks, where, where different things happen. There's a time when, when we were in East Asia and I had students that I was in front of from week to week, and there's a couple hundred students, you know, over a semester or two semesters that I was in front of. And, and then there's a time where I was working in a, a small business where there's three or four guys that I interacted with every day. And there was, that was my outpost for a season. And, and it, it changes through life. But we need to be wherever we're at, that we're a fragrance of Jesus Christ. And asking him, how would you have me to be an ambassador where you've planted me right now in this moment? And how would you even want me to push some of those boundaries a little bit to be able to have opportunity to be the face-to-face representation of Jesus Christ let's share that. And then verse 21, we're compelled by the cross of Christ. We're compelled, he'd say, compelled by the gospel. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here we have this message of Christ, one who was without sin, Fully God and fully man, who died in our place, taking upon Himself the judgment that we deserved, and died for us, and then rose again, that we might receive through Him righteousness, that we could be forgiven, that we could be reconciled to God, and have this message of being an ambassador. So here are all these different things that should, should stir us up, and even in this, as you're, I don't know where you are out with Christ, it should even stir up in you. That there is hope in Christ. And as we think of these things, sometimes we think, well, how might I be an ambassador? How might I even speak about Christ? And I just have a few slides, hopefully, that come up here. Uh, maybe we've shared this before, but it's been a little bit uh, to, that I've shared this. And this is one way, just one way of sharing and speaking about the gospel. It's something that you can write it down, you can... You could uh, put it on a napkin, or you could just speak about it with someone, and there's just different connection points. You can even enter into a gospel conversation with this, and you received as you came in. If you didn't, make sure you grab the, out, there's a couple outlines, a couple handouts that we had for you guys on the way in. If you haven't grabbed one of those, make sure on your way out you grab that, but it's three circles, and the first circle is that of God's design. If you follow with me, I'm just going to kind of look at that outline as well. So you'll see that I'm just kind of following along with that, if you grab that on the way in. So God's design, we see, just even speaking about someone, they might not have any concept of that of a God, and that he has made a design of this world. And there's not, you can't just assume that they have a a worldview, that there's a creator God, but you begin there. And we see then that God, we look at the world, we see design, we see purpose in this world. And the Bible does teach us that and tells us that that God designed the world and had a perfect plan for that. And he had a plan that everyone is to fit in relationship with him. And that was his plan, that he had a purpose for us. We're made to know him, to worship him, to love him, to love others and walk with him. And God had this great, perfect design. But then sin entered the world, and we often ignore God. We ignore God. We ignore His design. We we kind of do things the way that we want to. We don't love Him as we're called to do. We do things on our own and in our own way. And because of this, we distort the design of God. And there's sin that comes in. We've rebelled from God. And because of sin, there's a separation from God. A separation in this life and for all eternity. And then... We see the result of sin really is brokenness. There's such brokenness in this world. You look about and we see brokenness. And that's a, sometimes a good way to begin a, that conversation because someone's just speaking about brokenness in their life and you can enter in and speak about brokenness. We see that. We see that all around us. We see where um, maybe maybe close to, to a war in uh, with Russia and Ukraine and all of that. And you just see brokenness. We see cancer and we see just all sorts of things that break into people's lives and divorce and brokenness and that. And we can enter in and see the world is broken because of sin. We've departed from the design of God and brokenness enters this world. We need to to see that. And then we also, we try, you see those little arrows that we try to escape our brokenness in so many different ways. Try to escape it through Whatever it might be, um, our job. I think, man, if I have the uh, the best job, that'll help me escape from brokenness. Or if I um, through, if I pursue this or that, or enough money, or whatever it might be, we think ah, that's the that's the answer um, to that. But we realize that we can't escape ultimately escape our brokenness. Uh, we we realize brokenness leads to a place of realizing a need for something greater. We need the Lord God. And if you look at that outline, there's different verses you can walk through, like Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to man, but it's, its end is the way of death. And then we get to the gospel, but the Lord doesn't leave us. God did not leave us in brokenness, but he has a plan for us. The Lord loves us. He desires for us to restore us, to restore us back to his good design. So we have the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came, the one fully God and fully man that entered in and died for us and died in our place to pay for our sin and our brokenness, that we can have a new life, that we can be made right with God, that our sins are dealt with fully by him. And that when we t- turn in, we t- trust in him that there's new life and we repent and believe. So we turn from from our sin and ourself. That's maybe one of the easiest ways to speak about repentance. We're turning from ourself and our sin and turning back and turning to God and trusting Him and trusting Christ who died for us. Believing and receiving new life through Jesus Christ and forgiveness in Him. That we want to, to know God. We want to love Him. We want to know His good design. And we can find that through Jesus Christ. And then in our life, we, we recover and pursue God. When God restores our relationship with Him, we can continue to pursue God's good design that He has for us. And pursue our Lord God. So uh, this is just one easy way. And then talk about that there's a response and just calling to response in the light of the gospel, in light of our brokenness, in light of our need for Jesus. We're called to to turn and trust in him and find new life in him. Um, And even as we walk through this this morning, if you look and you're like, I am in that broken circle. I am far from Christ. There may be a call even this morning to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior who's one who's died for you and risen, is victorious, one who loves you. And because of his love, he died for us, that we can have a new life in him and that we can be restored to that relationship that God desires and his good design and plan for us. So I encourage you just to look over that handout. It's just a good way. There's different places you can enter in. It might be with God's design. Maybe, maybe that's a good connect to, to begin the circles. Or maybe they're, maybe speaking about brokenness. Or maybe something comes out about Christ, and then you can go back to, well, do you know why Christ came? And you can go back to brokenness. But it's kind of a visual picture where you can see where people are at and just be able to share the gospel. And then also, um, I just wanted to point out too, I encourage you to grab and look at this other handout that I have. This is every, every Neighbor nap. Every every neighbor nap, not every neighbor nest, every neighbor map, I'm sure you yeah. I'm thinking about a nap right now, but no, yeah maybe hopefully no one else is thinking about a nap as I'm preaching right now, but um but here so we have uh, this is a way to think about that outpost, where has God planted you right now, and you can look and um just th- be thinking about where. Maybe not all of these circles maybe don't even apply to you, but where you work or where you live or your family and some different things. And I'm going to begin to fill this out. And I encourage you, fill this out, put it in your Bible, fold it, put it in your Bible or put it somewhere where you're going to see it daily and pray for those three, four names or maybe even a couple names that you have in those circles that you want to be able to begin thinking about and praying for and praying that the Lord would open up doors and that you would see them, have wisdom see them, and then boldness to walk through them. That's, a, that's one thing I pray for often. Well, let's pray and ask for the Lord's grace uh, in these things. Dear Father God, we thank you that you have given us new life, uh, and that we can sing songs like It Is Well With Our Soul, and that our life is defined, that as we walk through this life, we don't wonder what our purpose is. We we know your design, and we thank you that you've loved us and rescued us, that we might love you and love others. Lord, help us to be those who speak about you, who are actively pursuing uh, to be ambassadors, thinking through uh, what is the outpost, what is the position, where have you planted us that we might be able to be faithful, to share with, with kids and grandkids, with neighbors, with coworkers, with whoever it may be, Lord. So I pray for that. Lord, give us wisdom and boldness. And Lord, I also pray this morning as well, if there are some here, some that are listening, who have, are wrestling with their walk with Jesus, maybe wrestling in brokenness, trying to escape it in so many ways, I pray that even now that you would open their eyes to see the hope that's found in Jesus Christ, who was one who knew no sin but died for us, becoming sin, dying on the cross, And rising again that we might know the righteousness, your righteousness. So I pray for that this morning. Lord, may you stir our hearts. Lord, these truths that stirred Paul and the churches and believers through the generations, may they stir us as well, Lord, we pray. May we be controlled by the love, compelled by the love, pressed forward by the love of Jesus Christ who died for us that we might be ambassadors of Jesus Christ today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.